Good morning. It's a beautiful sunny in the old Pueblo, and you're listening to KTDT Tucson. Thank you for spending a part of your brunch hour with us on your downtown Tucson community-sponsored, all-volunteer-powered rock and roll radio station. This week, we're going to speak with Lori Shepard, Executive Director for the Tucson Jewish Museum in Holocaust Center. It's right there on Stone, and Lori has 20 years of nonprofit leadership experience, and she uses that to share her passion for Jewish history and Holocaust education within our Southern Arizona community. Today's January 14th, 2024. My name is Tom Heath, and you are listening to Life Along the Streetcar. Each and every Sunday, our focus is on social, cultural, and economic impacts in Tucson's urban core, and we shed light on hidden gems everyone should know about. From A Mountain to the University of Arizona and all stops in between, you get the inside track right here on 99.1 FM, streaming on downtownradio.org, also available on your iPhone or Android with our very own Downtown Radio Tucson app. And of course, if you want to interact with us on the show, Instagram and Facebook are a great way to do that. And uh, you can also check out information about our book, past episodes, or contact us through our show's website, which is lifealongthestreetcar.org. We also have the podcast out there on all kinds of different platforms if you want to listen to that. Well, I, uh, I said, you know, we do this each and every Sunday, but we didn't do it last Sunday. So this is our first show of the new year. I want to thank DJ Bank, the musical bum, for filling in with a little bit of... Uh, uh, a little bit more upbeat music, a little more uh, uh, jazzing style music than uh, he has on his um, Art of Easing. He had turned it up a notch for our half-hour session last week. So, Mr. Bank, we, uh, we thank you for that. Uh, all kinds of things happening, including the Jazz Festival in downtown Tucson. We've got Dillinger Days coming up. Lots of activities uh, within our urban core, and we invite you to share those on our Facebook page if you know stuff. And and uh, head over there and, and let us know of things that um, we should be covering uh, if there are events that um, you find interesting that we're not talking about, well, let us know so we can talk about them. And one of our uh, goals here is to highlight hidden gems, and I think our guest today represents that. Her name is Lori Shepard, and she's the executive director for the Tucson Jewish Museum and the Holocaust Center, which is on Stone, a little bit north of Five Points, I walk by it lots of times, and uh, it's a little, I mean, it's obvious it's there, but it's a nondescript kind of building. It's, it's, it's not a huge uh, museum type. It's actually uh, the first uh, Jewish temple in the Arizona Territory, as I found out in an interview, and uh, had a chance to sit down with her. We did something new. We did a video. I'm uh, going to start to do that this year as, when we can. Uh, Lori was able to come up to our studio and, uh, and record a video. So we'll have that on Facebook and YouTube a little bit later on for you to uh, check that out. But of course, this is a radio show and a podcast. So we've taken the audio version and uh, going to play it for you now. So this is uh, recorded a little bit earlier this week with Lori Shepard, Executive Director for the Tucson Jewish Museum and Holocaust Center. Something brand new here on Lifelong Streetcar. We're starting to incorporate video. So if you're listening to this on air, you're not seeing the fabulous video, but you'll be able to check that out soon on our website. Uh, and uh, just something new for 2024 that we'd incorporate. And we're going to start with Lori Shepard from the uh, Tucson Jewish Museum and the Holocaust Center, which is on Stone, just north near Barrio Viejo, right? Just south of downtown. 
Yeah. Well, you're, it's in, you're in downtown. You're like a half a block yeah. or a half a it's, mile from the street. It's car. 564 Southstone. Okay. So it's really close. And you're near, so you're near the Five Points intersection. Yes. Okay. Yes. We're, I guess we're probably almost, we're probably closer to Five Points than we are to downtown, but not by much. Okay. It's about halfway. But Five Points right now with all the developments happening there, it's certainly worth the, the, the trek, the half a mile trek from absolutely the, from downtown to, uh, to there. And then you can stop by the, the museum on the way and, Right. And take a peek. So tell us a little bit about, um, first of all, the, the museum itself, this building is very significant uh, in, in Southern Arizona history as well. It is. It is. So interesting that you said you're really close to downtown. So when this building was built in 1910, the paperwork actually said on the outskirts of Tucson. Um, <laughs> but that today we are really close to downtown. The, this, the, the synagogue that we are housed in, we are not a synagogue, but we, um, we have on our little campus a synagogue, a museum, um, and then the Holocaust Center. And the synagogue that we are housed in was the first um, Jewish temple in all of the Arizona territory. Oh, I thought just in Tucson, but, all the, but the entire territory. The entire territory. Okay. In fact, at that time, if you needed any Judaic services, if you needed a wedding, uh, life cycle events, bar mitzvah, you had to go either all the way to El Paso, Texas, or San Diego, California. Okay. And I always tell people, and we didn't have I-10 back then, <laughs> so it wasn't as easy. So um, while the first Jews started coming into the Arizona Territory in 1860 to 1865, when most of the uh, pioneer settlers started coming in, mm-hmm. they, they didn't actually have a, a house of worship until 1910. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's quite a while. So did they, did they have informal places or did they, they did. travel? They did. The first, the first organized services were actually held at Alex Levin. Um, Alex Levin's Levin's Park. If you know um, Tucson history, most people don't know Levin's no. Park. And actually, if you went to the Pennington Street where Levin's Park was, and it was a huge part of Tucson history, it, it's now a really nice municipal parking garage. So okay. <laughs> it's not good. But that's where the Jewish community first started meeting was in Levin's Park. Levin's Park was a brewery, uh, Pioneer Brewing, and he had he opened the first bathhouses in, in uh, Southern see, Arizona. So this is why this show just keeps growing because now I've got to do research and find out about Levin's. I'll get you some information. I, it's it's actually fascinating. He, he had an archery range, a movie theater, a restaurant. It was Levin's Park was a huge part of downtown. Huh. Um, until it and, wasn't. And well, at least now it's parking. No, and now it's, uh, now it's this beautiful parking garage. It, so the the museum then, when, when did it transition from a house of worship to uh, to an actual museum? So it, it was the Reform um, Temple here in Tucson from 1910 until the mid late 1940s, actually. Mm-hmm. And then it's, we, it's a tiny little space. When you come to visit, you'll see it's just, it's a really tiny little space. And so quite frankly, the Jewish community just outgrew it. And in 1930s, um, the conservative movement opened um, congregation on Shai Israel. And so the reform movement moved over to where is now Kolomi, um, on Broadway. Okay. okay on yeah. Broadway. And so they sold the they sold the space 
um, they sold it to different churches. And actually, so several different Protestant churches lived in that space. They would go into that space, utilize it as they were growing. And then when they would buy a new space and move on, um, they would sell it to the next. And so it sort of passed in this way for several decades. And then in the 1980s, the, it became a Spanish language radio station um, across the street in the 19, in 1936 was built the uh, Mexican consulate mm-hmm. and it stayed there until um, 2020, about 2020 okay. until it moved to its new location. So a Spanish language radio station was just the right thing across the street there. But when the Spanish language radio station left that space, it just fell into disrepair. It became vacant. Squatters moved in. A lot of damage happened to the property. And at some point the owners just couldn't sell it. And they thought, well, I guess we'll tear it down. Mm. I've heard they were going to make it a parking lot, which is just heartbreaking. But the organized Jewish community came together and said, wait, Mm. we can't let that happen. This this was the first synagogue in the Arizona Territory. It was built two years before Arizona even became a state. We have to preserve this. So they came together and through the 80s, they raised money. It became the Stone Avenue Temple Project because no one was exactly sure what what would happen with it. Then it became... um, Is this in any relation to the Stone Temple pilots no it's not it's not but i have actually i have actually accidentally said that before because <laughs> who can help it if you're if you're of a certain age you just never know <laughs> you just if, if you're of a certain age Sorry, that's <laughs> so the um the stone avenue temple project became the jewish historical society the jewish historical society morphed into a fabulous um southern arizona jewish history museum okay. and as things continue to change as and grow as we have. Um, then we eventually added a Holocaust education center next door, which was at the time just one room in a house next door. And eventually we realized we needed a whole Holocaust museum and it, and in 2016, um, we opened the Holocaust education center. And does that focus on uh, stories or families of those in our region or how does that, what is it, what, what's the education component? I'm so glad you asked that. So everything that we do focuses on what we call intimate histories. So in the synagogue, we tell the story of Southern Arizona Judaism. We talk about what the Judaism, the history of Judaism look like in Southern Arizona. What does it look like today? When you come next door into the Holocaust Center, while we are a history museum, so we have the requisite timelines and and, um, we talk about the 10 stages of genocide, all of those things. We do everything in that space through the eyes of the more than 270 um, Holocaust survivors who came here and made Southern Arizona their home. I didn't know that. And we call that intimate histories. Okay. We can tell you all those pieces from the timeline and give you all of the important geopolitical aspects and dates, but really what is going to make a point and stick with visitors is when we tell these really personal narratives, yeah. these really personal stories. So we try to do that whether we're in the historic synagogue or we're over in the Holocaust Education Center. It's I feel like I know these people um, who some some who haven't been with us since the 1800s. Right, and that's that's interesting. So then, and I haven't done enough research. Then on your website, do you then kind of break down like the families and those types? So I mean, can people do genealogy and things through through your what another great question. We actually have a genealogy program um, with Joel Albert, a, a gallery chat coming up. Now that is less about local mm-hmm. and um, more about shuttles um, through the Holocaust. Um, there's a whole project with that okay. that'll be coming up later in, in January. You can check out our website for, for that event. But we try 
to focus on telling the story. So we talk a lot about pioneer Jews, but I've taken to calling it pioneering Jews because this can be everybody from folks who came here in the, in the late 1800s to the people who are making a difference today. That's Lori Shepard, Executive Director, Tucson Jewish Museum and Holocaust Center. We're going to follow up on that uh, conversation, get to the second part, and, and talk about some of those people that they highlight and some of those families and uh, different events that they're doing within the museum and Holocaust Center. My name is Tom Heath. You are listening to Life Along the Streetcar on Downtown Radio, 99.1 FM, streaming on downtownradio.org. This podcast is sponsored by the Mortgage Guidance Group and Nova Home Loans. If you enjoyed this podcast, keep listening or head over to lifealongthestreetcar.org for all of our past episodes, current events, and things to do while visiting Tucson. Tom Heath, NMLS number 182420. Nova, NMLS number 3087. BK number 0902429. Equal housing opportunity. Welcome back. We're going to finish up our interview. Uh, if you're just joining us, Lori Shepard is our guest today. Uh, we sat down with her earlier in the week as part of our new um, video series. Uh, so we've we actually videotaped, or I don't know if, that, if that's a thing, videotaping, but we recorded on some kind of moving device there with a camera uh, our interview, and we'll have that up for you to watch on Facebook or Instagram and uh, YouTube and all those places a little bit later on. But we've been talking kind of about the history of, of the building itself and how the museum came to be and get a little bit more into some of the programming and things that they're doing within our community. And again, this is Lori Shepard, the executive director. So our Holocaust survivors, we um, I told you we had more than 270 who made Southern Arizona their home. Right now, we have... Give her, there's some question about this exact number, but right now we have about 12 who are very active and still speak. They come out and speak to school tours. Um, every school tour that ends, they end with getting to meet a Holocaust survivor. Um, we have a couple more dozen who are not active. They're not able to be They're in their late 90s. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's a very difficult time for us right now because we're saying goodbye. Yeah. We're saying goodbye to too many. Um, and we know that's just going to happen. We've lost most of the greatest generation when you think about those who fought in World War mm-hmm. II, those who were liberators of those concentration camps. Most all of them are gone now. And so the Holocaust survivors that we still have with us are all children of the Holocaust. So they were all, um, most of them were teenagers or, mm-hmm. or younger during the Holocaust. Yeah, and the opportunity, I know from working on projects with World War II veterans, the opportunity to speak with someone who's experienced that history. And, you know, you can read about it in a book, but when you when you hear someone speak and you hear their voice crack or you hear that emotion, those words resonate so much more deeply. And I think it's wonderful that, that, that they take the time right now to, to share that so that we continue that tradition as long as possible. It's so important. And this legacy for them is so important. Each of them has a unique story. Each... Each person that went through the Holocaust, those who survived and those who were lost, has a unique story. So for us, we know that a a life is not lost to oblivion until their name is said for the last time. So we really try to do everything in, in our space through their names, through their eyes. And using and using their legacy and their personal stories 
they're going to impact students and, and visitors much more greatly than me giving them a dissertation on the dates. Right. And, and w- what you're doing here on Stone, is this something that you see across the country where it's really regionalized and you're telling the story of that region? Or are you are you kind of pioneering in this? Or It's a great question. You know, there's, there's about... There's just under 20 freestanding Holocaust uh, museums in the United States. There's about 125 Holocaust education centers. Some of those are connected with universities. Some of those are just individual like ours is in the community. And what I find is each one has a unique way of telling the story mm-hmm. because each community is unique. So typically when you're on a campus, I won't speak for every campus, but typically when you have a Holocaust education center on a campus, it's very academic. Um, it's very focused on the academia, mm-hmm. the pedagogy of it. When you come to a museum like ours, or previously I was in El Paso, Texas at the El Paso Holocaust Museum and Study Center, those are much more personal. And I think that the personal is is a way to connect that stays with you. It mm-hmm. really stays with you. I, I Personally, I think that, and I think that's why I do the show, is to, to hearing these stories and talking to people that are either involved or impacted or re- related family-wise to those that made these changes, it, it certainly resonates more with me. Um, and I, Not that the, the exact figures and the, and the history of it is very important, but I think what it's you It's important said, in a different way, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. So you came from El Paso then. You were, how long have you been in Tucson? Uh, it will be two years this March. March, okay. March 2024 will be my second anniversary. Okay. May I ask what brought you from? This oh. job. Okay. Working at sense. the Tucson Jewish Museum yeah. and Holocaust Center. It, it brought my family here, and we, we are so thankful. And so before that, you were doing a similar role in, in Texas. At, at, I had been the executive director of the El Paso Holocaust Museum and Study Center, um, and then we... We, we might have made a little foray over to Phoenix, but it didn't take. So, and then how long have you been involved with with this type of work? Close to two decades. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a passion. It's something that once you start doing it, you, you really... It's hard to, I I left, I left this work for a very short amount of time and I won't say where I went, but I went to an amazing nonprofit with a fabulous mission and I, I, fabulous people that I worked with and every day I thought, this isn't where I'm supposed to be. This is not where I belong. So when I had the opportunity to talk with them, they called about this position. It was a no brainer. It was a no brainer because the work, it it stays with you. It, It stops being work. And I think, and I, I'm sure every city can say this, but the unique melting pot that Tucson has been over the last several, you know, hundred, couple of hundred years is just quite amazing to me. Um, and that's something we've uncovered and talking to many different people and not realizing the impact of so many different cultures and how the cultures impacted each other. So I think that as you dive more deeply into some of these stories, I think it's going to be interesting to see all of these cross sections and how they come out. The intersectionality of the communities is so powerful. One of the, our favorite things about the museum is that we are down in Barrio Viejo. We are next door to the AME Church. It was built in the 1930s. Um, Rabbi Gumbiner and Rabbi Bill Gray both worked closely with the um, congregants of the AME Church, and they did that in the late 1930s, early 1940s. In the AME, that's uh, that's the African American, yep. yeah, Episcopal mm-hmm. Church. My apologies for not for not clarifying. And it's just north of you on Stone, and, and you can see that you know another 
really historic building mm-hmm. um, uh, as you're walking down. And just knowing that they were doing this work, they were doing this social justice, social action work together. Then um, Rabbi, um, Rabbi, excuse me, um, the reverend from that church was just over. We had our... Um, we had our Hanukkah candlelighting service just a few weeks ago, and um, he, uh, Reverend Jean, came over and joined us for that. And just having the moment of the two of us standing in that same space mm-hmm. where um, the minister and the rabbis stood, just just knowing that we have that continuation. The thing about Barrio Viejo is that it has always been such a diverse um, intersectionality mm-hmm. of different communities. Yeah. You had um, Chinese immigrants who lived there. And just on the, on the back side of you, there's like the Lijo Market. It was just, you know, exactly. just a walk away from you. Exactly. And so when you walk around that area, there's a wonderful walking tour. Um, it's not related to us at the museum, but I'm, I'm, I, it's a fabulous walking tour of that area. And it, it's so powerful because you see this was no one thing. This was all of these communities coming together and making a community. Yeah. Really fabulous. So with the museum, let's talk about some specifics. I mean, like how do people find more information? What are your hours? What are your costs? Give us the details. Well, we are absolutely a free museum. We okay. don't want anyone to be turned away because they can't afford. We do everything we do with kind donations. So uh, while we're a free museum, we do accept donations. <laughs> but we are a free museum. We are open Wednesday through Sunday. From one to five, mm-hmm. we have um, a lot of programming that happens as well. You can find all of this on our website, which is www.tjmhc.org. Okay. So that literally stands for Tucson Jewish Museum and Holocaust Center. Okay. .org. You can find uh, the address. There's free parking on the street, which we're grateful for. Plentiful parking. And um, we'd love to have visitors come down, check it out. You know, what we find is most people say, I had no idea this was here. So I don't mind that we're such a great kept secret, but I'd like to be a little less of the best kept secret in town. I'd like to, to talk with folks like you and, and let more people hear about it and come out and see us. Well, Lori Shepard, I appreciate your time in this. I appreciate your energy and enthusiasm moving from El Paso to Tucson. And uh, I look forward to uh, kind of checking out and, and learning more about, about that, that museum and, and kind of digging in. So I appreciate your time. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. That was Lori Shepard, the executive director for the Tucson Jewish Museum and Holocaust Center on Stone, about a half mile from a streetcar stop there at uh, 6th and uh, Broadway. And uh, part of that new kind of a really revitalizing area of Five Points. If you haven't been down there in a while, it might be worth a, a walk around there and check it out with what's happening. My name is Tom Heath. You are listening to Life Along the Streetcar on Downtown Radio, 99.1 FM, and we're streaming on downtownradio.org. Support for Downtown Radio is provided by the Tucson Gallery, located in downtown Tucson inside of the proper shops at 300 East Congress Street. The Tucson Gallery offers original work, reproductions, and merchandise from Tucson artists like Joe Padgett, Jessica Gonzalez, Ignacio Garcia, and many more. For information about all the artists, including when they will be live at the gallery, head to thetucsongallery.com or find them on Instagram and Facebook as Tucson Gallery. That's the voice of Brother Mock, does uh, Radio Club Crawl, one of, my, one of my shows here on Downtown Radio. I've got several that I like to listen to. Uh, like one every day that is just um, good good music, good insight, 
Uh, club crawl is nice because it, it helps to expand my horizons and gets me out to see more live music because I, I get a little tasty taste, as he says, of the music and, and I want to hear more. Uh, just another one of these volunteer DJs. Uh, you heard uh, we've got Paleo Dave who does uh, the drive time every morning from 7 to 9, five days a week. It's tremendous. And he's a volunteer, people. Uh, you can support the station by heading over to downtownradio.org. There's a donate button. Uh, we certainly can use uh, any support you'd like to provide. And those ongoing donations, uh, kind of those monthly ones that help us budget, are fantastic as well. That's at downtownradio.org. And while you're there, check out the lineup. You know, it's a, it's a good Sunday with Mr. Nature, DJ Bank, Art of Easing, kind of getting us started. We get into little talk shows. Following me here in just a few minutes is Ted Prozelski with Words and Work. Uh, Ty Logan at the top of the hour with Heavy Mental and then back into some music. Uh, it's just a really good lineup. And again, many of these DJs and show hosts have been here for years, just kind of sharing what they love and just doing it for the sake of doing it. And um, you know, proud to be a part of it as we roll in here to a new year of 2024. And if there's topics you would like us to cover, you know, let us know. Hit us up on Instagram, Facebook, email us, contact at lifelongstreetcar.org, however you want to get us involved, but share with us those things that we should be uh, talking about here within our community. Um, you know, this, I think the, this year is starting off <laughs> the way last year finished with this, all these different suggestions that come in. You know, I met Lori through an event we did at the Presidio Museum, and then after our conversation uh, when we recorded that for the show today, um, you know, Lori filled me in on a couple of topics that um, that we should cover, and gave me some contact information of things that just weren't on my radar. Uh, and that's just how we uh, how we do it. But it starts with you, so send over that information, uh, however you can, uh, and we will do our best to uh, cover everything you would like us to do. Um, what's going on here? We got the jazz festival happening, and then tomorrow. Uh, tradition that's that's been happening for the last several years on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Uh, as we celebrate uh, his life, we also celebrate jazz in Tucson. And uh, there's a free concert that the jazz um, festival puts on. This year it's going to be at Corbett's, the, the new uh, pickleball restaurant bar. Um, it's got a couple of venues uh, to listen to music. Uh, that area is going to be uh, for the free jazz concert tomorrow. I think it's 11 to 7. Um, but one of the featured acts there is Ken uh, Poplowski, a clarinet player. And we're going to leave you with a little music today where he was, uh, he was featured on that. But I want to thank Ryan Hood for letting us use their song, Dillinger Days, which is very appropriate this time of year because that's when we um, celebrate the uh, Tucson police and fire and their, their uh, life-saving fire techniques and their capturing of John Dillinger, the Hotel Congress Dillinger Days. It's coming up here, in a, I think, in a week. So thank you to Ryan Hood for that. I also want to thank James Portis. Our, uh, I guess he's really kind of our, know, he's our, our producer. I mean, he, he makes things happen behind the scenes. All the, all the good things that happen, thus on social media, the, um, just so much. So, James, thank you for that. And we're going to leave you today with uh, music from um, 1998. It's uh, uh, John Pizzarelli, and uh, it's an album called John Pizzarelli Meets the Beatles. Uh, and the song is When I'm 64, and it's featuring Ken Paplowski, who's that featured artist uh, tomorrow's downtown jazz festival uh, he's on the clarinet i hope you have a great week and tune in next sunday for more life along the streetcar
losing my hair many years now. Will you still be sending me a Valentine? Birthday greetings, bottle of wine. If I've been out till quarter to three, or would you lock the door? Will you still need me? Will you still feed me when I'm 64? I could be handy and mending a fuse, or when your lights are gone, you can hit a sweater by the fireside. Sunday morning, go for